0: Revelation 2, 8-11 And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write the words of the first and the last who died and came to life, I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you are rich, and the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you are about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison, that you may be tested, and for ten days you will have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. We've come to the second letter in the book of Revelation. Really, these are more specific notes to specific churches within a letter to all the churches. These messages are being dictated by Jesus to John. The first note was written to the church in Ephesus, this one to Smyrna, which was located where the modern city of Izmir on the Aegean Sea in Turkey is. As we mentioned last Friday, each of these notes begins by identifying the author, Jesus, by one or more of the descriptions of him in chapter 1. So we read in verse 8 that these are the words of the first and the last who died and came to life. We said last week that to call Jesus the first and last was tantamount to saying that everything came into existence through Jesus and everything finds its ultimate purpose and fulfillment in Jesus. The entire universe, all of existence, is for Jesus. And He is the one who died, dying on the cross for the sins of His people that He might rescue them to God. He had a mission that necessitated His death. But the human reason for His death is that He would not deny His message. Or his identity before the powers of the world. That's significant. Here's what Jesus says to the Christians in Smyrna. I know your tribulation and your poverty. These are striking first words. The two ideas are probably connected. Toward the end of the first century and into the second century, the persecution of Christians became more common. From what we know, it was very important, often essential, to participate in the worship of Caesar, the Roman king if a person wanted to be deemed a loyal part of society and wanted to conduct business and generally prosper. Of course, for a true Christian, the worship of Caesar was out of the question, and this could have easily led to poverty as Christians were shut out of commercial activity. Jesus also knows the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Now that sounds like a harsh line, so let's unpack what Jesus means and how it likely connects with the other two things that Jesus knows. Apparently, the Christians were not merely facing attacks from the Roman world, but the Jewish world. The two were strange bedfellows, the pagan Greco-Roman cult and the staunchly monotheistic Jews. But the old saying is that the enemy of my enemy is my friend, and so it seems it was when it came to the Christians in many times and places. The Jewish faith was given special protection in the Roman Empire. While most of the empire was required to abide by the state religion and the state gods, Jews were given a bit of an exemption. Judaism was a religio licita, a legal religion. If Christianity was a branch of Judaism, it was legal also. If it was something new and entirely different, it would be illegal. And we see evidence in the history of the New Testament that Jewish leaders often did not assist the Christian cause. In the Gospels, Jewish authorities attempted to have Jesus executed for what they claimed were acts of disloyalty to Rome and to Caesar, and in the Book of Acts, the Apostles were often forced to defend the legality of their faith. If Christians were being slandered by the Jews to the Roman authorities, we might hazard a guess as to what those charges were—that the Christians were being disloyal to Rome, that they recognized a different king, Jesus, than Caesar that they were a new religion that had nothing to do with the Jewish faith. Of course, none of these things are true. The early Christian church emphasized submission to God-given government and prayers for the king. They understood Jesus was king of kings, but that his kingdom was not of this world. And they taught and believed that Jesus was the promised Messiah, whom countless generations of Jews had been waiting on for centuries. Jesus says these slanderers are not Jews. Not Jews at all, but a synagogue of Satan. In saying this, what he means is that it is they who have abandoned the Jewish faith by not recognizing God's promised Messiah, by not recognizing Himself. This is the point Paul makes in Romans 2, verses 28 and 29, when he writes, For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical, but a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the spirit, not by the letter. For the earliest Christians, there was a meaningful sense in which the true Jew, the true descendant of Abraham, was the one who shared the faith in the Messiah that Abraham had, and was on that basis counted as righteous before God. Since this local synagogue in Smyrna had actually opposed the truth of the Messiah, of Jesus the Christ, they had instead allied themselves with Satan, whether wittingly or not. Now, for the Christians, Jesus has two comforts for them. First, he knows these things. Jesus is not in heaven unaware of what's going on. He walks in the midst of the lampstands. He is intimately aware of and concerned with the plight of his church. He knows. He is aware. He's not caught by surprise. He knows. The second comfort is that despite their material poverty, the Christians of Smyrna are spiritually rich, rich in Jesus' eyes. What a blessing it would be to hear that Jesus thought of us as spiritually rich. But verse 10 sobers us up a bit more. Do not fear what you were about to suffer. Behold the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested, and for 10 days you will have tribulation. So there's a prophecy baked into this note. The Christians were going to have 10 days of persecution will involve a number of them being put into prison, perhaps even worse because Jesus encourages be faithful unto death. So the sad news for the Christians in Smyrna was it's going to get worse. Now to be clear I think this refers to a literal time of suffering that happened to the Christians in Smyrna probably in the late first century but that doesn't mean it doesn't have an application for us. Like the Smyrna Christians We also must be prepared to face slander for our faith, to face prison for our trust in Jesus, even face death for our conviction that He alone is King of kings and Lord of lords. But remember who is warning them. Yes, Jesus, but specifically the Jesus who died and came to life. Death was not the end for Jesus And it will not be the end for any who are in Jesus. For them, if they are faithful even to death, he will give the crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. Conquer. Maybe a more helpful word, one that other translations use, would be overcome. Overcome tribulation and persecution and prison and death. But perhaps conquer is important also. We tend to use overcome for things like enduring through diseases and difficulties, but we tend to think of conquering as a more active thing. And that's maybe right. Jesus isn't calling us to conquer our enemies. He'll take care of that. But I think he's calling us to conquer the temptation to abandon our love for him when it seems all the universe has conspired to help us walk away. But if we conquer, if we overcome, we will not be hurt by the second death, the spiritual death of an eternity suffering for the rejection of Jesus. That death cannot ultimately touch us because we are in Jesus. So let us be encouraged that the one who died and came to life is on our side. Until next time.